Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jacob Scrimshaw, the Discipleship Pastor here at Rolling Hills, and we are so glad that you joined us today as we continue our series, Finish Strong. Today you'll hear from Pastor Jason as he teaches from Joshua chapter 7 and 8. Now, here's Pastor Jason. Well, have you guys ever had those moments when you realize what worked for you yesterday isn't working for you today? Maybe you were an athlete in high school and you played basketball and you realize that they score a lot more now than they did back then. Nothing has really changed. There's new techniques, there's new equipment, but the rudimentary elements of basketball are the same. There was a foul line, there was a free throw, and when the ball went in the basket, there were points that were given to you as the winning team. But it seems like that somehow people are just better at sports now than we were back then. Or how about this for you parents in the room? You had child number one, you became an expert in child number one, and then came along child number two, and you realized you knew nothing about parenting anymore because child number one used to respond to things like, I'm going to take your toys away when you're misbehaving. It would really cut them to the core. And then child number two comes along and you say, I'm going to take away your toys when you're misbehaving. And they look at you and say, and I quote, that's all right. I didn't really care for that toy anyway. (laughs) Or how about a business? Maybe you were a part of a business that refused to adapt and pivot with the times. And you you really just held on to the promise that people were going to need a video store for the rest of their lives. That they were going to need a physical place to come and look for a copy of Ghost or Die Hard Meanwhile, there's a team of people coming up with some harebrained scheme to get those movies at the touch of a button in the comfort of your own home. And what worked business yesterday does not work today. Or how about this? Rewind in time. Have you noticed that your metabolism does not work as good today as it did back then? 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I mean, an entire bag of cheddar and sour cream ruffles, which I can just devour from start to finish, affects me a lot more today than it did back then. Most of us are experts in the past. Most of us can look back at the past because we lived it. We've seen the wins. We've endured the losses. We've won the awards. But then we wake up on November 1st, 2020, and we realize today is a new day. And hopefully with a new day, you realize this day has new opportunity. And just because something worked yesterday doesn't mean it's the plan for today. Just because I had success in something yesterday doesn't mean that that's going to work out for me today. Just because I finished a task yesterday doesn't mean that God doesn't have a new one for me today. We're here at week two in this series, in this initiative in the life of our church called Finish Strong. And through Finish Strong, we are asking each and every one of you to take a step of faith that possibly you have never taken before. We're not looking back at the past, but rather we're saying, God, what do you desire to do today? What do you desire most importantly to do in the future? And what are you asking me to do to be a part of it? Now, as Pastor Eric said in the welcome, you're with us on a very special day. As we are embarking upon a ceremonial groundbreaking for a campus expansion, and God is inviting each and every one of us to step out and trust him. But I want to be the first to tell you that the faith of yesterday needs to be refreshed for the faith of today. Now, does God change in the midst of any of that? Absolutely not. God is constant, but many of us have invested in things in the past, and we've said, check, I'm done, but God is saying, no, I want to use you in a significant way. God, what do you want to do in me today as I seek to finish strong the race that you have called me to run? And the text that we're going to look at to unpack that truth is Joshua chapter 7 and a little bit of Joshua chapter 8. So if you have a copy of God's Word and you want to turn there, I would encourage you to go ahead and do so, and you're going to see these words on the screen here in just a moment as well, but in this story... 
you're going to see a few potential pitfalls that could stand in the way. But ultimately, God's going to show us his plan and what it is that he desires to do. And so I'm so excited that you're here with us today. And I want to encourage you to pray with me as we just say, God, show us what it is that you want to show us today through your word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for each and every person who is assembled in this room today. I'm grateful for all of your blessings, and I pray that you would work and that you would give us a vision for what you want to do today. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Now, the book of Joshua might be a new book of the Bible for you. It's an incredible book in the Old Testament, or maybe it's one that you have studied a number of times. But one of the big ideas of Joshua is it shows us this snapshot into the history of the Israelites as they are moving from the, it's the Exodus, they're moving from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land. Maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston as Moses. That kind of tells a visual illustration of this certain part of this story where they were in slavery for 400 years, and God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. But what happens on that journey is often what happens to us. They got distracted, just like we get distracted. They started wandering away from God, looking to the things of this world, like you and I are very guilty of doing, I'm sure. Or actually, don't let me throw you under the bus. I'll just throw myself under the bus. They look away from God, like I often do, and try to make plans in my own right and think that I have a better plan than God has for my life. And so ultimately, God is dissatisfied with some of the decisions they're making. And so he tells Moses, the people are going to make it to the promised land, just not with you as their leader. And so Moses's apprentice, Joshua, raises up. He takes this group of one million plus strong, wandering through the desert to the promised land. And there's a couple caveats. There's a couple obstacles in their way. And we know some things about obstacles, don't we? There's some adversities that are in their way. And one of those big challenges was the Jordan River. There was a body of water that they had to get over, and God says, take a step of faith, step into the river and see what I'm going to do. And the moment that their toe touched the water, God parted that river like two walls, and they walked through on dry land. As Pastor Jeff shared with us last week, Jericho was another obstacle standing in their way. It was this city. It was this big city that was on the trade route in between where they were and where they needed to go. Jericho was not a city that was devoted to God, but God says, I'm going to deliver the city into your hands. But Joshua, you have to follow a pretty unorthodox plan. Everybody take up a trumpet and march around the city seven times. It's here. Look it up. It's in the Bible. This was God's plan. March around the city seven times, and I'm going to deliver Jericho into your hands. It's exactly what happened. In Joshua chapter 7, we're going to see another obstacle today, another city that stood in the way between them and the promised land, and it was the city of Ai, capital A, lowercase i. And the city of Ai was smaller than Jericho. They had already defeated a bigger enemy, so the city of Ai should be not that challenging, right? They had already been victorious in a larger battle, so what possibly could go wrong? Because see, their past was filled with success. Their yesterdays were filled with success. What possibly, what other shoe could possibly drop here? Well, look at Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it. And do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. What's going on here? Ai is a smaller city. 
The Israelites had wind in their sails. They had a new courageous leader. They had seen miracles, and now they have melted in fear like water. They've lost 36 soldiers. What happened? Well, to answer that question, you have to go back to Joshua chapter 6, because God gave them some really specific instructions before they started the battle of Jericho. Look back at Joshua chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Again, this is what God told them before they were going to battle Jericho. He says in verse 17, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Did you catch this? Before entering Jericho, God said there are devoted things in the city of Jericho, which is simply a phrase that's used many times in the Old Testament to mean something that belonged to God and did not belong to you. That's the easiest way to understand a devoted thing. It's not yours. (laughs) It's God's. And God would set apart these devoted things for a variety of reasons. Some things were set apart to God for destruction. And some of those things were set apart so that God would use them in his treasury, whatever the case might be. But it was placed in the hands of God. Regardless of the purpose, it did not belong to man. It was a devoted thing to God. And God said, I don't want you to touch those things. I don't want you to take those things. Now, we can relate to this. Because go with me to like the Smithsonian Institute. If you've ever been to the Smithsonian, the Hope Diamond is there. Also in Washington, D.C., if you go to the National Archives, you can see the original copy of the Declaration of Independence. Awesome things to see. What are both of those items protected by, though? Like quadruple paned glass. Why? Because they know you and I would touch it. Just because they put a sign up that says, don't touch the Hope Diamond, I know you guys, you're going to grab it. Not because you want to steal it, just want to, right? You don't think I'm right? Have you been to the zoo recently? The Tiger Pavilion? What is big print all over the Tiger Pavilion? Do not tap the glass. What is every man, woman, boy, and girl doing at that location, including me? You know, trying to get that tiger's attention so we can get a picture. We just can't help ourselves. That's what God said here. There's these things that are devoted. They are not yours. So don't touch them in the battle of Jericho. I'm going to deliver the city for you. Just don't touch the devoted things. But look at chapter 7, verse 1. The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. There's this one guy named Achan, not Achan, but Achan. Some of you, like three of you in the room got that joke. Achan took some of the devoted things that were intended for God from the battle of Jericho. And it says that the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites and they did not successfully defeat I, a smaller army. Which leads me to my first point. You are walking on a slippery slope when you attempt to hoard what belongs to God. You are walking on a slippery slope when you attempt to hoard what belongs to God. See, the devoted things, past tense, and the devoted things, present tense, belong to God. And what does God say? God says, I don't want you to hoard those things for yourself. 
when it comes to your talents, I don't want you to make their talents all about you. And certainly when it comes to resources, I don't want you to make those resources all about you. God says, I don't want you to hoard the resources of this world, but rather invest them in things of an eternal significance. Invest them in things that are going to outlive you. In fact, this is one of the most frequently talked about issues in the Bible. Jesus had a lot to say about this. He knew that money was going to be one of the chief competitors of our heart, and money was going to be one of the chief competitors of our priorities. And that's why he says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, as you see on the screens, don't store up for yourself. Treasures here on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Go back to the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, the last book of the Old Testament. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? And he says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. See, when you don't hoard what God has blessed you with, your heart has a sense of peace. And when you bring your tithes and your offerings like we're asking you to seriously pray through in this Finish Strong initiative, you see the only time in Scripture, listen to this, the only time in Scripture that God says test him is in regard to this specific issue. There is one time in Scripture when God says put me to the test. And what does he say put me to the test? And he says put me to the test in your most valuable resources and see if I won't prevent pestilence, if I won't prevent those terrible things from happening, I will show you that the apples will stay on the vine until they are juicy and ripe to their prime peak moment. One time God says test him, and it's in the area of resources. Now there's tens of times, hundreds of times, that God shows us what happens when we hoard what is supposed to be devoted to him. Enter Achan. He was disobedient when it came to handling the devoted things to God, and they lost the battle. Now, I'm aware that some of you are with us for the very first time today, and I have just self-fulfilled what you think the church is all about. You showed up today, somebody invited you, and the one Sunday that you show up, here is the pastor talking about not hoarding resources, and you're thinking to yourself, I knew that this is what the church was about. I knew that this was the only thing that they really cared about. Now, again, these are not my words, though. These are the words of God. God had a lot to say about this, but I actually think when it comes to resources, we've done a massive disservice to you. Because when we talk about resources and when we talk about generosity, what we tend to only ever talk about is all the things that you're going to have to give up. We say, you're going to have to sacrifice this, and you're going to have to give up this. And all of those things are right and true because it requires a sacrifice. But have you ever stopped to think about what you're going to get? Let's turn it up on its end this morning. It's not a conversation about what you give up, but think about what you get. Because... When you don't hoard what God has trusted you with, I promise you, you find peace that you have never had before. You find joy. You find a, a sense of that your life isn't as anxious as you used to be. You certainly get a release from the desire to keep up with everybody else, which is so freeing. 
And in this particular initiative that we're in, you get to be a part of building a building, which is a tool. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's not the totality of any vision of our church, but it's a tool that we seek to use to reach people far from God. And because of your generosity, this is going to be a place where somebody's going to be equipped to reach and invite a neighbor to church who is so ashamed about their past that they could not publicly talk about it. And a neighbor's going to invite them here, and they're going to meet Jesus. And that neighbor is going to lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that neighbor is going to baptize them. That stuff happens. In fact, that has already happened here. There's going to be people who are on the brink of divorce, marriages that have no light at the end of the tunnel, and Jesus is going to get a hold of couples, and through reconciliation, they're not only not going to get divorced, but they're going to start serving here in the life of our church. That stuff happens. In fact, it has already happened here. Through your investment, a young girl in a country in Eastern Europe called Moldova is not going to leave the orphanage and enter the sex industry and to service men every night of her life in lewd sexual acts. Her trajectory is going to change, and she's going to be introduced to a transitional living home to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. And at age 18, we're going to hire her at Justice and Mercy International, and she's going to go back into the same orphanage where she was raised, and she's going to look in the faces of other 10- and 12-year-old girls and say, God has a plan for you. You do not have to follow this path that the enemy has for you. Friends, that stuff happens. In fact, it has happened already. Don't hoard what belongs to God. Don't hang on to the things that God is saying to bring to him. Now, why is this such a struggle for us? I think this is such a struggle for us. You can see it there in your notes. I'm always going to struggle to be faithful when I want the things of the world more than him. (laughs) Base level. I'm always going to struggle. I will always struggle to be faithful when I want the things of the world more than him. Look at verse 1. What does it say the Israelites were? They were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Now, this word means underhandedly, meaning everything's not above board. But another word that is used to describe is marital infidelity. This Hebrew word for unfaithful is a word that's also used in the Old Testament to describe marital infidelity. What is at the heart of marital infidelity? It's you're leaving your most important human relationship and you're sacrificing that for a lesser relationship. And when God says the Israelites are unfaithful, he says you're moving away from the most important relationship, and you're moving towards something that is lesser. That's what it means to be unfaithful. And as a result of that, Israel lost the battle with I. And Joshua begins to question what's going on. Joshua becomes depressed. He starts this woe is me campaign. But God shows up, and God reminds him. He says, Joshua, here's what's happened. There is someone in your ranks that has not been faithful to the devoted things. And they have taken the things that belong to God and they've taken them for themselves. And it's determined that that man's name is Achan. And so go to chapter 7, verses 19 through 21. And look at this interaction between Joshua and Achan. Verse 19, then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. See, Achan wanted the things of the world. What had God already done? God had performed miracles in their midst. At one point on the journey, God had brought water out of a rock. 
God had parted the Jordan River so they could cross through on dry land, which had to be so cool to see in person. He had made them victorious in battle with a primary instrument, the primary weapon of battle being a trumpet. And he had said, I'm going to continue to be with you. Just take what's devoted to me and keep it devoted to me. But what was Achan's response? He said, yeah, I know I wasn't supposed to touch any of the devoted things, but I saw this robe and it was beautiful and it was silky and a beautiful pattern. And I saw 200 shekels of silver, which is equivalent to about five pounds of silver. And I saw 50 shekels of gold, which is equivalent to about one and a quarter pound of gold. And he took it and he said, and I hid it. Why did I do it? Straight out of scripture, he says, because I coveted them. I wanted them. Now, what was one of the 10 primary commandments of God to the Israelites? Don't covet. He was saying, I don't want you to yearn for the things or be jealous for the things that others have or the things of this world. But ultimately, Achan says, I couldn't be faithful because I just wanted the stuff. And I struggle with this as much as anybody. Just because I want something doesn't mean I should get it. Just because I think I deserve something or just because I can't even afford something doesn't mean I should buy it. It's a real struggle. And what God is saying is, I want you to trust me. And God is saying, and if you will trust me, it's going to bode well for you. And it's going to bode well for your community. It's certainly going to bode well for the church, and it's going to bode well for the generations to come. But if you don't, it's also going to have implications for you and your life. And you see this there in your notes. Your faith or your lack thereof impacts more than just you. Have you noticed this in your life? How your faith decisions have much far-reaching implications than just you. They impact the generations to come. And if you go back to verse 25, look at what happens. Joshua says to Achan, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And ultimately, Achan and his entire family perished, along with the robe and the silver and gold that he was so desirous to have. When you live a life of faith and obedience in all areas of your life, be it serving, being it sharing the gospel, being generosity, whatever the case might be, the climate of everybody around you is also more inclined to be turned to God. For those of you who are parents in the room, your faith decisions are so much far reach, more far-reaching than you could ever imagine right now. I know some of you right now have little ones in diapers, and the only thing you can think about is please don't let them poop on themselves anymore. I know that that's where some of us are right now. But I promise you, there is a day when those faith deposits that you're making in their life will yield four, five, ten times over. They will see where your treasure is, and they will yearn to follow suit. Just this last week, I was reminded of this. I had a sweet little guy here in our church. He's four years old. A little guy last Sunday after church brought me some coffee. It was truly the way to my heart, P.S. By the way, he shows up out here at church with a little box of K-Cups, community coffee, a little box of K-Cups. Now, a couple weeks prior, it was so sweet, and I said, well, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. A couple weeks prior, this little guy's mom uh, sent me an email. And do you ever get one of those emails that you kind of have to read it a couple times because somebody's offering you a word of encouragement that was 100% precisely an answer to what you needed? And so I just replied to her message and said, thank you so much. You have no idea how much those words meant to me and how impactful they were. Keep in mind, that's the, the little guy with the box of K-cups. It was his mom. 
Well, also, a couple weeks prior to this K-Cup incident, this little guy's grandparents sent my wife and I a sweet card in the mail and a gift card to Outback Steakhouse. Now, these are all unrelated circumstances over the course of a month. But you have a grandparent and a parent and a grandchild, all from the same family doing these things. Don't tell me that faith and generosity and kindness stops with you. Because when that little box of K-Cups was handed to me, I knew something had happened. I knew that this young man had parents that said it is better to give than it is to receive. And I know that when I received that email with those kind words, that that was a mom who had been taught that your words matter. And when God brings a word to you to share with someone else, you take a step of faith and you share that with them. And when I think about those grandparents, I can't help but think that now they have a legacy of faith, a legacy of generosity that is going to outlive them. Many of us have made concerted efforts to dedicate our kids to the Lord, but we've allowed them to be 100% shaped by the world. Your decisions impact them greatly. So how can you and I not just rest on past successes? How can we not just rest on yesterday's plans? What are the things that I need to be aware of today? What part of the cage in my life might need to be rattled a little bit? Maybe perhaps there's something here about how Joshua responded that God is trying to get our attention on. Because look at what God tells Joshua in chapter 7, verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they will have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. And I think here at the beginning of the Battle of Ai, you see a little bit of a different response to Joshua. Look at what Joshua did in chapter 3 when the Jordan River was going to get parted. What did Joshua do? He goes through the whole camp and he says, Consecrate yourselves for today God is going to do something in your midst. God is at work. He said, Don't move. You guys remember this? He said, Don't move until the Ark of the Covenant moves in front of you. Last week, as Pastor Jeff talked about, in the Battle of Jericho, God made it abundantly clear, I am going to deliver Jericho into your hands. You just follow my plan. But look at Joshua's posture at the beginning of the battle of Ai. He was completely unaware of the sin of Achan. He didn't receive any direct instruction from God that we see. We don't even see any concerted effort for him to say, God, what do you desire to do? He doesn't go through the crowd and say, crowd, consecrate yourselves because God's going to do something. He doesn't see any prayer, doesn't seem to be praying any prayers of wisdom and protection. And he didn't even go himself to scout out what was happening. He sent two men and he trusted their input while he was sitting in the comfort of his lazy boy just took their word for it. And this is something that you and I have to fight against. You see it there in your notes. Fighting against spiritual laziness is a daily battle worth fighting. Fighting against spiritual laziness, that is a daily battle that is worth fighting. I think Joshua had just got spiritually lazy before this one little battle. But think about it. He had seen success. He had seen miracles, parted sea, parted river, Winning a battle with a trumpet? I mean, what possibly could go wrong? But I'm reminded in this that yesterday's devotion is not today's devotion. Yesterday's generosity is not today's generosity. Yesterday's commitments were yesterday's commitments. I have to make a new commitment today. Today is a new day. 
And so I encourage you to fight against that spiritual laziness and finish strong what God has put in front of you and watch to see what happens. Now, ultimately, Achan was destroyed. Joshua was discouraged. God says, you've got to make things right. You have to go and get your priorities in the right place. And Joshua was a strong leader, and he did just that. And he got everybody connected to a vision back to God. He fights through that laziness, got everybody's heart in the right place. But what still stood in the way? I, the city of I. They still had not defeated this city. The city is still there. The obstacle is still there. But look at chapter 8, verse 1. God speaks. God speaks now, and it's a completely different tone. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off all their plunder and livestock for yourself and set an ambush behind the city. Praise God that failure is never final. Failure is never final. And you see this here on your notes, the closing point for today. The difference between a great victory and a terrible defeat is often the result of one single step of obedience. The difference in our lives between a great victory and a terrible defeat is often the result of one single step of obedience. Joshua now allows God to take the lead. Joshua invites him into the first place in the equation. It was one single step of obedience. The first time they battled I, the Israelites died. God didn't bless them. The second time around, God says, Joshua, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be discouraged. I have gone before you. Oh, and by, by the way, this time, you can take all the robes, all the silver, and all the gold you want. You don't even have to steal it in hiding anymore because it's now yours. It belongs to you. God has invited you into his work. God has been so faithful, and God is the one that we are celebrating today. See, God is the one that is doing the work, but what is he asking you to do? What is God asking you to do? He is asking you to be a part of it. God is asking you to not hoard what already belongs to him. He's asking you to be faithful to him more than you are to the world. And so I want to thank you in advance for finishing strong because I truly cannot wait to see what God is going to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for meeting us in this place. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, God, that you ask us to not hoard what belongs to you, what's devoted to you, but to use it for you. I'm grateful, Lord, for your provision. I'm grateful for all of your blessings. I'm so thankful for who you are. And I pray that we would understand today that the difference between great victories in our lives and many times terrible defeats is often the result of a single step of obedience. So whatever that step of obedience that you're asking us to take today, I pray that we would listen and that we would lean into you. I'm so grateful for what you have done, and I'm so grateful for what you're going to continue to do. And it's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to learn more about what's going on here in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and stay up to date on everything that's happening and ways for you to connect. Thanks for listening. We are thankful for you.